Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. Good morning, City Church, and welcome to our first ever video sermon. I know that uh, this might be a little weird for some of us. I'm pretty excited about what Jesus is going to accomplish uh, today through the scripture and through the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, uh, as we were praying and thinking about I'm out of town this Sunday and really thought to ourselves, you know, how can we leverage some of the technology that God has um, allowed us to have at our fingertips to really be able to articulate the message of God and the call of God in this season? And as we're walking through this Poets and Prophets series, we really felt like, hey, this is a great opportunity while Justin's out of town to use some of the things that we've developed and, uh, and be able to still bring that message. So I want to just, you know, frame a couple things for you on the front end. Um, even though this is a video that you're watching, I've been thinking about this the last couple weeks and months as we've moved into this. Um, the, the power of God, this is the crazy thing about Jesus, the power of God is not limited to time. And so uh, today, even though you're listening to me talk uh, on a video, you're actually listening to the Holy Spirit talk live. And so I want you to turn to somebody and just say, this is going to be awesome. Go ahead, turn to somebody right now. Tell them this is going to be awesome. Turn to somebody else. Tell them he looks a little bit thicker on camera. No, don't, don't do that. That was a joke. Don't do that. So uh, let's pray and we're going to kick this thing off. All right. Sound good? God, we welcome your presence right now. Jesus, thank you for the worship. Thank you for the time that we just get to exalt your name. We welcome your presence right now. Jesus, as I communicate these truths about the poets and the prophets and the Psalms of God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would not hear a person talking, but that we would hear Jesus. We welcome you right now, God, into this place, into our hearts to talk to us, to speak to us, to transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you played with Legos this week? Have you done any Lego playing? Uh, Anybody here maybe done some Lego playing? Um, I have. I uh, actually dropped my son off last week at the big kids class. He's pretty proud of the fact that he goes to the big kids class, my older son, Gabe. And I dropped him off and uh, we had a couple minutes just to to burn and some of the girls were there. They were getting ready for the lesson to be able to teach the kids, you know. And... um, and so I just grabbed some Legos and started playing with Gabe, and I have developed over the last six years a great skill in the Lego department. I've, uh, you know, done my share of Legoing with my boys. So, um, you know, I grabbed the Legos, and within, you know, 30 seconds or something, I had built a pretty legit, you know, little plane, little Lego plane. And uh, the girls were like, wow, you're pretty fast. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've been around. And so, you know, me and Gabe have done a number of Lego things. He just graduated kindergarten, and Grandma bought him a Lego starship from Star Wars. And uh, pretty awesome Lego starship. He put it all together by himself, 177 pieces. He was pretty proud of that. But But, um, you know, one of the cool things about building Legos with my son that we do pretty regularly is, uh, you know, you follow step-by-step, very specific, intricate, you know, directions, and those directions enable you to build something that you could have really known no other way had, you know, built by yourself. And so one of the neat things about that is to see that thing kind of build. And so we've built, you know, I remember back as a kid, I built... uh, castles and you know just recently we built an, an airplane and all these different things we've built and it's it's a, it's a ton of fun and uh, you know the interesting thing that I found is you're very meticulous step by step there's no reading it's all very simple instructions and at the end you've got this glorious Lego creation and a pile of leftover Legos 
And every single time we do it, no matter what we're doing, we always have this pile of leftover Legos. And it's, you know, it's kind of frustrating because it's like, I did exactly what the direction said. Why do I have all these Legos left? You know, I, I think that, you know, if I were to do exactly what the direction said, why do I still have an extra light? There were two lights. I put the lights on the thing and there's a third light left over. And I don't know what the deal is with that. But, you know, I realized that many of us, when we talk about interacting with God, actually interact with him in the same way. We begin to interact with God and we say, well, you know, God, I did this and I did that. I prayed. I read the Bible. I didn't sleep around. I gave money to the church. I volunteered. And now you're supposed to do this. And when that doesn't happen and we still have Legos left, we're like, well, what's going on here, God? I thought we could systemize and structure this thing. And you know, from ancient times, people have been trying to systemize and structure God. And so people have had the rain God and the sex God and the long life God and the harvest God. And it frustrates humanity because you and I are unable to get our hands around this being that we're talking about, praying about and worshiping. And the scripture describes him as omniscient. This means that he knows everything, that he's omnipotent that he actually has all the power, that he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He's with me right now. He's with you right now. He's in China. He's in South America. He's everywhere. That he's transcendent, which means he's bigger than the bowl. You know, all of creation, the universe expanding. God's bigger than creation. And he's sovereign, which means he has ultimate and absolute control. And his knowledge is unsearchable. His depths are unknowable. And um, some of us, because of his greatness, take the other you know, angle. And we say, okay, God, I can't systemize you. I can't structure you. But instead of trying to do that, I'm just going to kind of give up on the whole thing. It's like the weather, you know, like, you know, every, every day the weatherman gives us a prediction, you know, and my son always says, dad, what's the weather going to be like? And I say, well, let's check. And then he'll say something like, well, I don't even believe the weatherman anymore. He's six years old. He's lost all faith in the weatherman and he's lost faith in the weatherman because the inconsistencies. And so often, you know, we think about God, like, well, I don't know what he's going to do. You know, I don't know what he's going to do. I, I don't know, you know, if he's going to, you know, come through or if he's not going to come through. And so we get this, 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 this embrace this idea of an impersonal, unpredictable God. And uh, just recently, I shared with it a couple weeks ago with you guys. Um, a few months back, I got to do a panel discussion with some other religious leaders at Quinnipiac University. And so there was a, this isn't a bad joke, there was a, a Jewish lady and a, a Catholic priest and a Muslim uh, religious leader and uh, a Buddhist and myself. And we got to discuss a number of different things. It was a really interesting panel to just be a part of and meet these people. And, you know, everybody began to explain their different views of God or divinity or whatever it would be that they'd call it. And, uh, you know, each one had this grand perspective of God. And my heart's kind of churning as I'm listening to these things, thinking to myself, how do I differentiate the God that I know? How do I speak to what they're speaking to, but show them that there really is a God that, that is beyond what they're articulating? And I'm wrestling with this and wrestling with this. And then all of a sudden it just struck me that the picture that they were painting of God, whether it be the Jewish lady or the Muslim man, was an incomplete perspective of God. And so I started to share it and I just emphasized the truth that my God can be known. That yeah, he is um, transcendent and omniscient and omnipresent. But the God that you and I worship every week at City Church, the God that we're honoring and magnifying and lifting up, this God that we're talking about, the crazy thing about him is yes, he is beyond our grasp 
And yet at the same time, he's within our reach. He's beyond our grasp and he's within our reach. And this God that, that uh, you know, we read about in the Bible, it doesn't take long before he reveals himself not only as the creator God, but also as the personal God. In uh, Genesis 5, this is the amplified version, verse 24, it says it like this, Enoch walked, check this out, in habitual fellowship with God and he was not, for God took him home with him. You know, I don't know about you, but I hear that and like something kicks in my soul that's like just this song. Like this song begins to sing when I hear those words and I think to myself and I feel to myself, yes, that's what I want. That's what I need. I want to walk with God. I want to experience that type of intimacy. Do you feel that in your own soul when you hear those words that Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God? This is more than just having sound doctrine, more than just having good theology. It's more than any of those things. It's more than just knowing about him. There is a God in the Bible that we can know. So as we step into part two of this Poets and Prophets series, you know, um, I want to look at today the, uh, the nightingale of the Psalms, it's been called. It's the most famous psalm in all 150 psalms. It's, um, it's had a number of uh, pretty you know, famous appearances. Everyone from Bach to Pink Floyd to Marilyn Manson to Kanye West to Tupac has referred to this psalm. It's gotten into all different kinds of movies and uh, art and literature of all different kinds. It's, um, it's the words that were quoted by the passenger on, on uh, Flight 93 on September 11th as he spoke to his family on the phone just before the plane went down. Um, it were the words that were quoted at Whitney Houston's funeral after she tragically died. Uh, personally, these are the words that my grandfather, who I never met, wrote just as uh, before he passed away at um, the age of 50. And uh, in my own life, these little six verses have spoken to me in such a deep way that I cannot even articulate it in words. Um, they've been some of the most transformative, supernatural, life-changing verses um, in my view of God. And I want to share them with you today. And if you've been around church for any length of time, I'm sure you've probably heard them. I'm talking about Psalm 23. I'm going to read the entirety of the psalm and we'll just walk through it. I'm just going to, you know, I think I'll just kind of meander through the psalm and, and mention some things that, uh, that jump out to me. But I think God wants to talk to you through these verses this morning. So let's check it out. Here we go. Psalm 23. If you have a Bible, you can open there. Uh, if not, just follow along. It says it like this. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, guys, I read those words, you know, and uh, one thing stands out to me as I read those words. One kind of pressing thought. This man knew God. This man, he knew God. Do you know God like that? Do you interact with God like that? You know, um, 
I think about my kids, you know, and here I am a dad of two, about to be a dad of three, and I think about how do I teach my kids the Bible, and certainly I teach them the stories, and certainly I teach them the principles, and certainly I teach them all that stuff, right? I mean, those of us that are parents, you want to teach your kids the stories and the principles and the truths of theology? Absolutely. We're all in agreement about that, but you know, that's not the essence or the substance of what I want to teach my kids. I want my kids, when they're 18 and 19 and 15 and 12, and when they're six, I want them to know God. I want them to know God. I want them to know his voice. I want them to know his nature. I want them to know him personally. That's the passion of my soul. I remember, you know, when I met Jesus as a teenager, I would go into my bedroom. Maybe you have an experience like this. I would go into my bedroom and I would just meet with God and his presence would fill my bedroom on 91 Bishop Street in North Haven, Connecticut. I would sit there and the presence of Jesus would fill my bedroom. I wouldn't even have words to articulate but I would know that he was there and I would just worship. And I remember thinking as a kid, God, if I ever get stranded on a desert island with a Bible, that's enough for me. I could just hang out all day with you. I could just, I could just be with you. And you know, um, I see Psalm 23 and I realize that David is believing, follow this, David is believing certain things about God that are enabling him to interact with God in such an intimate way. You know, Enoch walked with God. Hebrews tells us that it was by faith that God took him up and that Enoch walked with God. And so by faith, David believes certain things about God and it's his belief about these things that then open the door by faith to propel him into fellowship. And so my concern that I want to unpack for the next couple minutes is that our beliefs as followers of God only go as far as admiration, you know? And so we like God and we think he's amazing and we worship him, we sing songs to him, but do your beliefs about God go far enough for you to be in intimate communion with him? So I want to look at Psalm 23 through that lens and, um, and specifically I want to talk about three core convictions that seem to emerge from this psalm that David believed about God that enabled him to walk in such intimacy with God. Does that sound like fun? I told you, it's going to be a good time today. So here we go. So let's, uh, let's kick it off in verse 1. Verse 1, I'm sure you've heard before, and I just read it a minute ago, but take a look at it again with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You can write this down if you're taking notes. The first thing that David was convinced of about the nature of God, number one, is that God is my careful leader. Go ahead and write that down. God is my careful leader. Now, careful leader. Now, I love careful navigation. Don't you? I don't know what you're like. You know, um, if you want to see my wife and me argue, there's not too many things in life that we argue about. But uh, one thing that is almost a sure argument every single time we do it is if I'm the driver and she's the navigator, okay? If we're on a trip or something like that, we try to avoid this at all costs because we know it's not good for our relationship. So if I'm the driver and she's the navigator, you know, um, what, we, what ends up happening is I like to know, you know, she thinks I'm crazy, but I like very careful navigation, right? Men, elbow your wives if that's the truth, right? So, you know, I, I like to be I like to know exactly where am I going and how long until I get there? Is it is the turn in two miles? Is the turn in one mile? Just let me know because I'm getting prepared mentally for the turn that's coming in two miles. And so I want to know what's coming up, you know. And so my wife, you know, she doesn't think of it that way. She kind of just checks the directions now and then. And so, you know, just the other day, we're I don't remember why we weren't using our beloved GPS on our phone, but we were doing something and she was navigating and, um, and we're driving and she goes, oh, that was your turn. 
And I'm like, well, that was my turn. Why didn't you tell me before the turn? You know, we just blew past it. Now I got to go do a whole loop-de-loop thing. I remember this one time we were on this trip and, uh, and we missed the turn because my wife wasn't navigating. And, uh, and when we missed the turn, it was like 30 minutes in the wrong direction before we could turn around. And then 30 minutes back to get us to where we missed the turn. And the entire time, smoke was coming out of my ears, you know? Careful navigation. And the interesting thing about this passage is that it's clear that David sees God, check this out, as someone who anticipates his needs, right? He he paints this picture of God is my shepherd and I'm, you know, I'm a sheep. And so he says, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures in verse two. He leads me beside still waters. Where's he going here? Well, sheep kind of have two basic needs. They need to eat and they need to drink, right? And so eating is all about grass and drinking is all about a stream. And so the two places where uh, it seems that David feels the Lord leads him is to the places that he has need. And this is a huge inner shift. And I've been trying to meditate on this all week, and hopefully God speaks to you right now about this, that someone else is taking care of my well-being. Think about that for a second. Someone else is taking care of my well-being. And, you know, some of us are thinking, well, Justin, that's not my experience. I'd like to interact with God that way, but it doesn't seem that he's taking care of my well-being. There's been many times in my life that I feel I'm all by myself. Friend, don't you realize that the promise of God for him to take care of your well-being is actually activated by faith? David was so convinced of this that look what he says a little bit later in verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Where's he going there? He's saying, listen, I've been through some dark places. It's not that the shepherd never leads the sheep into a dark place. It's that the shepherd leading the sheep through the dark place has another place in mind. And he knows that there's a pasture beyond the valley. And so he knows it's critical that they walk through that valley. You know, I think about my own life, how many times God has led me through valleys, understanding that on the other side of that valley, there really is a better place. And I was thinking about this, you know, imagine what our community here at City Church would look like if all of us actually believed this, that God was my careful leader. You know, this is something God's been doing personally in my heart. I've been hanging out in Psalm 127 recently. And uh, it says it like this. You've heard this probably if you've been around in church, but just listen to the words with fresh ears today. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Verse two is my favorite. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. The psalmist understood something that you and I so often forget, that he's my shepherd. He's a careful leader. Next thing, take a look at verse three. It says, he restores my soul. And then it says this, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. For his namesake. The second conviction that I see David operating under. Remember the first conviction that God is a careful leader. I am deeply at my core convinced that God is a careful leader and I put all my faith behind that truth and it propels me into intimacy with the God who leads The second truth that I see David operating here that I want to mention this morning, check this out. You can write this one down. This is the second one. I told you I'd give you three this morning is that God's glory and my good run together. 
Let me say that again. Second point is that God's glory and my good run together. Now, this is kind of counterintuitive, so let me unpack this for a second. Most of us think that if someone is exalting himself, that's not a very likable person, right? I mean, think about the times that you go back in your mind and remember the person that always puffs themselves up. You know, I can think of a number of people that I know that every time I get around them, all they're doing is exalting themselves, promoting themselves. That doesn't seem to run congruent with humility, right? We would say, no, a, per- a person is either humble and they exalt others and they come out and promote others, or a person is self-exalting and they're always promoting themselves. And yet God can be both perfectly humble and self-exalting. And this is what David is getting at here. Okay, check this out. Psalm 116, it says, In God's presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Stay with me on this idea. God's fullness of joy for us is found in his presence. And so as God exalts himself, he actually draws us into the most satisfying reality for us. So when God exalts himself, it is the most loving thing he can do. Because in exalting himself, he reveals to us what real joy is. And so for us, when we seek his glory, when we say, you know what, God, my whole life is going to simply be about your glory. When we seek his glory, we're also simultaneously seeking our own joy. So God's good, or my good and God's glory run together. So David sees this and he says, you lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. So it's for your name, the exaltation of your name that you make me righteous. This has radical implications. Look what David says in verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In other words, I'm convinced that God is for me. Man. Are you convinced that God is for you? Do you live your life with the daily conviction, firm in your faith, that God is actually for you? I mean, think about how transformative that idea is. God is a careful leader. I believe that. And God is for me. He desires to bless me. You know, you think about Jesus being announced by the angels and they say, I bring you good news of great joy, right? Good will towards men. Goodwill. God wants to bless me. Wow. I love where he says in uh, just the verse before that in verse five, you anoint my head with oil. You know, I think about that. And here's David. We don't know how old he was when he wrote this, you know. But um, we know that one of his most significant experiences, in fact, the turning point of David's life was not killing Goliath, right? You know, you know the story of David. He kills Goliath. He becomes famous. He marries the daughter of the king. He becomes the commander of the army, eventually elevated all the way to the ruler of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, right? But before that, the turning point of his life is not killing Goliath, The turning point of David's life is alone in his backyard with Samuel. When the prophet Samuel anoints David as the next king, even though he's a shepherd boy in an obscure place that nobody even knows. And yet Samuel, hearing from God, anoints David. And David's reflecting on that. And I can imagine that he's seeing in his mind years ago when Samuel had called him out from amongst his brothers and anointed him. And he's realizing, you know what? God, that was you that anointed me all along. See, you look at your experiences in life. It's not just random. God has been speaking to you, drawing you, even through hurts and pains, preparing you for good. He wants your good. I look at David, you know. 
How did David so intimately interact with God? Could it be that he believed things about God that you and I fail to actively believe? Could it be that David believed that God was a careful leader, that David believed that God was for him, that God was for him? All right, so here's my favorite verse in the entire psalm. Check this out. Here we go. My favorite verse in the entire psalm. Verse five. This one's been speaking to me personally probably for the last year. There was a time in my life where every day I just read this psalm and this verse always jumped out. Here we go. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love the picture that that paints, right? You've got the poet, David, writing a song, writing a psalm about the fact that God prepares a table before him. We covered last week in Psalm 27 that David had some issues, right? Mom and dad forsake him. We covered this idea that, you know, people were trying to lie about him. People were trying to assassinate him. Some stressful situations in life, probably a little bit more stressful than what you got going on right now or what I got going on right now. And yet this profound conviction starts to emerge that he believed so deeply that in the midst of the trials, God was active. God was doing something. What was he doing? He was doing something specific. Well, what? God was preparing a table. The God of the table. The God who prepares a table. Third conviction that I believe David believed about God that propelled him into a life of intimacy, a life of personal union with God, a life not built around stacking up the Legos perfectly and then spitting out an equation that God will answer, a life not built around just awe of his omniscience, though that's absolutely true, but disengaging from intimacy because God's so big. No, a life that's drawn into the personal God, the personal God, Third conviction I see. You can write this down. God communes with me. God communes with me. That word commune, it means to converse, to talk together. Intimate communication. I love Isaiah 1, where the prophet Isaiah speaks on behalf of God and he says, come, let us reason together. Do you commune with God like that? I mean, think about your own life for a second. Is it Bible reading and attending church and asking God to bless your work and asking God to bless your kids? Do you have an intimate communion? Because here's my concern, that all of our different activities with God can just add up to a life that admires a great being when there is so much more available in our community and in our church that we as people can actually commune with the God of creation, intimate communication. You know, it's interesting to me that we, that we regularly find God around a table. And I think that you and I, coming from this generation in 2013, have lost a little bit of this table mentality. You know what I'm saying? I mean, now we eat dinner while we're watching TV and doing four other things and checking our phone and just, you know, just, just get it in you and move on. You know what I'm saying? And there wasn't, there's not often this intimate communion. And, you know, for me, as I've established a family over the last eight years and, you know, uh, my kids have started to grow up and get older, you know, what I've realized is that that table time is critical, isn't it, mom? Isn't it, dad? I mean, you know. But that table time is critical, that that time around the table is a time of great intimacy. And it's interesting to me that that's not just a human reality. That's also a divine reality. That in Genesis 18, check this out, Abraham 
gets a visitation from the Lord. And Abraham's first thing that he does is he makes some food and he sets it before God and they commune and they hang out. And it's then that God gives them the promise that Sarah will have a child in a year. We see that God has them establish the temple and he explains all the different aspects of the temple in the Old Testament. And the interesting thing to me is that right there in the holy place, he says, make sure you put a table, put a specific table, put some bread on that table. That's the bread of my presence. The God of the table desires that personal intimacy with us. So I started reading Psalm 23 different translations, you know what I mean? Just kind of like meditating on that psalm. And what I realized is that the God who desired to reveal himself as personal did so specifically by becoming a person. And Psalm 23 is not just an intimate picture of one guy. Notice he doesn't ever use in Psalm 23, our or we. It's me and my and I. He's interacting personally with God. That it's not just a picture of one shepherd guy thousands of years ago that had some special relationship with God. It's a picture that every single one of us can engage in and interact prophetically spoken by David, fulfilled in Jesus. And so I started looking at the words of Jesus and I realized that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of Psalm 23. If you just take the things that Jesus has articulated to us in the scriptures, you can find every promise of Psalm 23 in the words of Jesus. So let me read it to you. Here he is, Jesus' version of Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. I'm with you always to the end of the age. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. For in my Father's house there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. See it today. See it today. That in Christ, God has built a table right at the center of my heart where me and him can commune every moment of every day. That in Jesus, sin has been removed. That in Jesus, I can access the presence of God. And he set a table right in my heart that me and him can commune. So Justin, what am I supposed to do? If you're telling me that I can have this type of intimacy like David had, if you're telling me that I can commune with him, that he can be my careful leader, if you're telling me that, you know, that he can be the one that is near me, the one that communes with me, how do I get there? What does he want me to do? He wants you to stay seated. He wants you to sit down. He wants you to stay seated in him. And by being seated in him, you find opportunity to commune. Check out this verse, Revelation. You've heard this before if you've been around church for any length of time, but I want you to hear it again with fresh ears today. Revelation chapter three, check this out. Jesus speaking to the church says this. He says it to you right now, okay? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why? Well, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what's he gonna do? I'll come in to him and eat with him. And he with me. 
the one, who, the one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me, to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friend, what I'm telling you is we're living in an era of overlapping kingdoms that you will not always see everything go perfectly in this life, that sin corrupts everything, that you're going to battle fear, that you're going to battle anxiety, that you're going to battle loss and lack. And yet in the midst of that, you and I have a divine opportunity to excel above that reality because the Lord is our shepherd and he's prepared this table in Jesus that we can sit down and constantly commune with him. And in the midst of the overlapping kingdom, David says it as perfectly and as clearly as it's ever been said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, for me, uh, the words of uh, a song by Martin Smith, um, great songwriter, he's the uh, former front guy for the band Delirious, wrote a song about this and he said, um, what a friend I found, closer than a brother. I felt your touch, more intimate than lovers. What a hope I found, more faithful than a mother. It would break my heart to ever lose each other. Jesus, friend forever. Friend forever. Jesus says it like this in John 17. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, um, you've read Psalm 23 before. So have I. You've been around. You've probably heard it. Even if you've never gone to church, this is your first time ever coming to City Church, ever coming to church in general. I can almost guarantee that you've heard Psalm 23 before. Psalm 23, like I said, it found its way into all different aspects of life. And we can just look at Psalm 23 today and go, yeah, that's a nice passage, and move on with life. Or we can pause and we consider the reality that this person had interacted with God in such an intimate and personal way that his relationship with God was not built on just this idea of God's greatness, although certainly David understood that, but it was built on this intimate union that he had with God and that that intimate union is actually available to you and me because the person of Jesus became God or God became man for us to be able to realize and understand his exact personality and to be able to take our place so that our sin could be removed and that we could receive forgiveness and union with him. And I think about all that and I realize that uh, Psalm 23 is a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of intimacy. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my careful leader. It's a picture of God's desire for you that his glory and your good run together, that he wants your good. And it's a picture of an opportunity for relationship that he communes with me. I want you guys today um, to consider these ideas. Go ahead and stand to your feet right now. Uh, Steph is going to come out in just a second. We're going to sing a song here, but uh, go ahead and uh, just stand to your feet. I'm going to pray. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us right now in real time. He wants to speak to you about these truths. Let's pray. God, would you come right now? Everybody across the place, stand to your feet. God, would you come right now? God, would you speak right now? 
Holy Spirit, would you begin to stir us? God, these truths may seem routine. They may be things that we've heard before. I pray that you prick our hearts. God, I pray for every person right now that their relationship with you has become routine. If that's you in your heart, I feel like the Lord wants to touch you right now. Father, the person that is listening to this right now and their relationship with you has become routine. It's become dry. It's just a consistent pattern of traditions. Father, I pray right now that these truths would begin to break in, that you are a personal God, that it's not just about knowing about you, but it's about knowing you. I pray, God, that you speak to the person that's been afraid of trusting your leadership, that you are a careful leader. And I pray that as they believe that, that faith would begin to stir in their soul. Father, I pray for the person that hasn't believed that you have their good in mind. I pray that right now you would reveal by the Holy Spirit that you desire their good. And I pray for the person that knows all about you but never fellowships with you. I pray for a deep refreshing of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit right now. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. I want to speak for a second to the individual that you're here and your relationship with God has become routine. This is the perfect time to ask the Holy Spirit to bring you back to a place of intimacy. Maybe in the past, you've known a place in your life where you were intimate with the Lord, but now your relationship with God has just become a system. Holy Spirit, I pray for that person right now. If that's you, I just want you to say yes in your heart to the Lord. I pray for that person right now in the name of Jesus that you would spark and ignite a Psalm 23 type of relationship. Father, I pray that this would be a model of who we can be personally, not some other person's experience, but our experience in Jesus. I pray that right now, Lord. Why don't you just receive from the Lord right now? Just receive from the Holy Spirit right now. If you're here and uh, you say, Justin, all this sounds nice, but um, I'm far from God. Why don't you take a minute to consider coming to Him? See, the Scripture says, that you cannot get to God on your own, that your righteous deeds are filthy rags before God. But it gives you and I a divine promise that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that right now, right here in June 2013 at City Church, at Co-op High School, you can experience Jesus. And if you're far from God right now, let me talk to you specifically as you stand and you just center on Christ. If you're far from God, you need to know that the unfathomable love of God has been perfectly expressed towards you for all time. That God became a man. That he lived among us, displayed what holiness looked like. And then he, in his love, took your place so that every wrong you've ever committed before God and man can be washed away in the perfect blood of Christ. You don't earn this. You can't deserve this. You must come to him humbly and receive this. And if you're here listening to this today and you know in your soul you're far from God, you know in your soul that you're not right with him, you can have assurance of your relationship with God by right now saying yes. Would you whisper this prayer with me? This prayer is not magic words. This is a prayer of surrender to God. Would you whisper it with me right now? God, I need you. God, I need you. I surrender my life to you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I receive forgiveness of sins. Wash me. 
Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. I give my life to you. Fill my soul with peace. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to take some time just to worship right now. And um, as we sing this song, I just want to urge you, whether you followed Jesus for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, or right now you're coming to him for the first time, I want to urge you to take this moment right now as we worship, as we speak of being carried to the table. And I want you to sit down. And I don't don't know what enemies are going on in your life right now, but here's what I do know, that in Christ, there's a table set for you right in the center of your heart. He's already set the table. And he's just saying to you right now, stop, sit down, sit down with me. Jesus, as we come to the table right now, I pray that you reveal a deeper level of opportunity for intimacy. We grab a hold of faith to believe that you are the God who is personal. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. Visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.